podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Shackles Are Off podcast and we are the bearer of good news even though you probably already know the news by now if you are a fan of the podcast and therefore a fan of England cricket because it was a blooming good week for England cricket lads wasn't it um, so good I, I love the fact that so many people got up um, so early in the morning to watch England romp to victory and uh, it did look a little bit shaky didn't it on the, the sort of latter end of day four but uh, no problems in the end and England 1-0 up in the two match series in goal in Sri Lanka. Uh, I've got a man with over 400 first-class wickets, Jack Brooks, with me, and a man who has, uh, well, hit a six at Newlands, uh, Chris (laughs) Millard with us on the podcast. Uh, I thought you'd like that one, Chris. And, um, yeah, fantastic. I was more more, um, gobsmacked that Brooks is taking 400 first-class wickets. Well, Well, mate. Yeah, didn't know you could bowl. <laughs> which which fish and chip legs that in? Yeah, <laughs> not fish. La la la. Not you, son. Not you, son. Resident professional. How how good is it having England play Test cricket again? How great has it been? I know Millard's job is basically to watch England play cricket, and you wouldn't have done that for a while. But honestly, seriously, obviously the time difference wasn't great. Someone like me who's got stuff to do can't get up at four in the morning, but. How good is it watching cricket again? And how good were England? It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think just to have Test cricket back on and to have the England game, but also the Aussie-India stuff, that people were just engrossed in Test cricket for a week straight. And I know that a lot of the hardcores were up at 4.30 watching it. Like you said, that I don't have anything to do. Um, there was a lot of people with nothing to do by the looks of it, though, because there was a lot of people up at half four every day. I must admit, it was tricky at times and there were times when uh, the Sri Lankans were batting that I might have had a little bit of shut eye but um, it was so good to watch and while the route is in the kind of form he's in you can't really take your eyes off it no matter what time it is so it was very enjoyable to see it was brilliant, wasn't it? And uh, also, look, I know the Barmy Army weren't present, but in, a, in essence, we were present, Chris, because we, we, were. we had our man, we had our friend Randy. And he, by the way, <laughs> I mean, the amount of coverage that he got, uh, it's incredible. I mean, look, we knew that was going to happen weeks and weeks ago, didn't it? But it kind of snowballed massively. Um, and he exactly, came he yeah. came on the Jimmy Nishan pod, wasn't it? And we spoke to him on there briefly and we were just like, wow, this is going to be great. But we didn't think that he'd end up on Good Morning Britain talking to Andy Caddick himself. <laughs> it's just, it's cult hero now, isn't he? Like, he's gone into the stratosphere now. Everyone wanted a piece of him last week. His last week he's, his life would have changed last week, wouldn't he? Oh. He's Do you know why? Bit, he, has, he has become a bit of a media whore, though, hasn't he? Just yeah, quite rightly so. Milk, milk the cow while she's ready to be milked. But <laughs> he, he's, um, he's, he's such a good bloke. Like, people can latch on to it. People, people love his stories. A nice fellow. There's no, nothing in it for him other than he loves cricket and why not work remotely for ten months? It makes a lot of sense to him. But everyone else, is like, what? You stay for ten months it and you're that. over there watching cricket. The more I thought about it, Millard, and I'm sure you'd agree, Greggy, as well, that it does actually make a lot of sense. Like, why the hell would he come home? Like he said, obviously he's paying rent still, so he's like dead money. But he is earning money, and he's staying yeah. in a country which is warm, good weather watching cricket which he's obviously managed to do now which he didn't do previous but he could actually live a semi-normal life other than a, a bit of quarantine then and again but he's yeah, and he's famous life. now <laughs> and he's made a name for himself and probably got free tickets for cricket for a long time now yeah well, he'll be the barmy army leader of the songs for many years to come we've been looking for a vic flowers replacement ever since we had to retire him due to his unfortunate um celebrity look alike and now we're on the hunt for a new one and he stumbled so I'm sure you will see DJ Randy Caddick again singing Jerusalem in the sands next summer yeah he can spin Bex at the after parties as well <laughs> just a yeah. bit I think his bookings might go up a little bit by the way fantastic also I don't think he's I don't think he's very good though he was saying to me the other day he said I've I started DJing as a bit of a pastime while I was over I'm not very good but I love it 
was like, oh, that's quality. He's like, the one ambition is that I'm playing. Um, what do you do? do you, you spin the decks, don't you? I'm spinning the decks whilst I've got a, a reel of Andy Caddick taking four wickets in and over on repeat for the whole time. I was like, how long? You're like, like four hours or something. I was like, oh, <laughs> nice one, mate. That sounds really cool. I'm sure we can make that happen at a, the next Barmy Army party. About as much of a DJ as Greg is. Yeah. Well, this is a bad, this is um, a little bit of an issue, to be honest, because quite a few people do call me DJ Millie from a day or a, a three, four month period in my life where I bought some decks and thought I could DJ. But I've never heard anyone or you refer to yourself as DJ Millie ever before. <laughs> First time I've ever heard that, Greggy. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I did have to listen to some of that in our old house in Leeds when we lived <laughs> together, and it was great, I'll be honest. But, you know, whatever makes you happy. And by the sounds mm. of it, you're probably better than Randy Caddick. Also, we will be hearing <laughs> from him next week at the conclusion of the second test, hopefully. We'll get him back on the pod. Um, also, We can't afford his fees now, can we? <laughs> Yeah, true. He's booked out by the big dogs. We can't get him on anymore. But his Randy's reports were brilliant. If you've not seen them, go onto the social media on the Barmy Army Instagram and Twitter. He did one after each day, and he got more and more like hoarse in his voice. He was clearly <laughs> doing a really good job of singing, wasn't he? Um, and by the fifth day, he just looked like—I mean, he just looked like he was going to combust with happiness, didn't he? he was like, oh, there's Randy <laughs> on the fort on day five. It looked brilliant. So, um, and he also looked a bit sunburnt as well, which is very funny. But yeah, top man. We'll be hearing from him next week, hopefully. And um, also, just to round that off, he, he, he look—he raised a really decent amount of money, I think, and he's hoping to keep that going for those, uh, you know, the stray dogs out in Gaul as well. So, um, I don't—I donated twenty quid to that, by the way. Did you? Well done. Brilliant. That's two beers, Brooks, so. two beers, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great. It's it's nearly. It's, we're hoping to get it up and over over a thousand pound by the next test. So we'll we'll keep banging that drum. And it's on the Barmy Army Facebook page. It's Weaker Worldwide. If you want to donate, it'd be really good. Buy it's not a pint. Money for uh, to buy a ticket home, is he? <laughs> no, he, he certainly <laughs> isn't. We're actually trying to convince him to go to India, to be honest. But <laughs> just stay out there. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm working on it. Fantastic. I absolutely love it. Uh, We've got a good guest uh, coming up here on the podcast. We'll come on to that shortly. Um, Millard, we did, and uh, look, we did some predictions, didn't we, Um, for this little sort of two-test series, highest run scorer and highest wicket taker. So I'll take you through some of ours, and then Millard, you've sort of got a few in front of you, haven't you, from other people. And if you've listened, obviously Uh we're only at the halfway stage. It was a chance to win two test tickets. Um, on a sort of day where there's a bit of availability, etc. TNCs apply. I don't know what those TNCs are, but we'll come on to them again at some point. But um, yes, so Brooksy, look, Bearstow needs a couple of hundred or so, but you're on track for Leachy. You predicted Bearstow 291 runs and Leach 14 wickets. That's not a bad start. Uh, Millard Crawley needs a big, big score. He's got one in the locker, <laughs> as we saw last summer. Um, Leachy yep. looking good as well for you. You said 15 wickets, but you said Zach Crawley 260 runs and um i said 275 runs for joe and uh, 12 wickets for dom bess so i need rooty to have a bit of a stinker and also dom to sort of not take as many wickets so uh, i'm not really sure i don't think we're going to be winning those free t- uh, test tickets forever the pessimist there you well yeah you could say that yeah <laughs> but you've got some in front of you as well, well by the way inundated <clears throat> with entries we're like 250 or so uh, so we've wow. got to wade through some of those um, before the next podcast. So, uh, But yeah, Chris, go on, who, who's looking close? Yeah, we've got some fairly close ones on Twitter, especially Adam Brand has gone 296 for Root and 13 wickets for Bess. Sam Z has gone 290 for Root and 15 for Leach. So they're, they're going to be in and around, in and amongst it um, at the end of the next test. But the one I've seen, which is really a good effort, I think. Dover, Leah, 88. Jay is just his name, very mysterious, whatever you do. Run scorer, Root, with 396. Leading wicket taker, Leach, with 17 wickets. Now. That's um, fr- from all the ones I've waded through, he looks to be sitting comfortably in the top spot at the minute, I would say. I think so. Yeah, that's that's a good effort. A good effort. Well, we'll sort of round some of those up for next week, and uh, if you and, and I've got to mention one more. Go on. Callum ninety, Callum ninety nine, Wills, Root three twelve, and the best fourteen wickets. That could be mm. depending on how Rooty does. But we, we obviously want Rooty to get up 
around the 500 runs mark. Yeah. <laughs> Two more innings, he should be there, shouldn't he? I think so. <laughs> a great start for for Rooty. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, so we we shall see. The next test starts as we put this pod out tomorrow. So um, best of luck to the lads on that. Uh, before we get talking to the wonderful Anthony McGrath, who Brooksy knows very well, and uh, Millard and I had the pleasure of speaking to him as well uh, just a couple of days ago. Where Brooksy, you've got a quiz for us prepared, and I can't wait because uh, my cricket yeah. knowledge is shocking. <laughs> I just thought... I'll have a little bit of a, a goal-based quiz for you two because we had a little fun bit of knowledge uh, the previous pod, didn't we? Yeah. Who won the uh, draw, wasn't it? Was it was a draw. It was an honourable tie, yeah. Yeah, so I'll let that one go. It won't happen again. I've got a tiebreaker question just in I case. I won on goal difference, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris, yeah. So um, we'll start with question one. Multiple choice again. Uh, Greg, you can go, go first. Uh, how many test wickets has Murley taken at goal in 15 ma- matches? Is it A, 81, B, 101, C, 111? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, C, 111. I think I think 101. Both go the same if you want. There's no rules against that. Um, the answer is C, 111. So Millard comes 1-0 up. Well done, Millard. Well done. Greg, you put the pen down, mate. No, I'm just keeping, I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping score. On. I'm keeping score, mate, you know? <laughs> that's, what I'm doing. that's all I'm good for. <laughs> Out of the badges. It's all kicking off. Right. Question two. What year was the first test at Gaul? Was it 1995, 1998 or 2000? 1998. Two, 2000. It was June the 3rd, 1998. Oh, oh he takes the 2-0 lead. Cheer up. <sighs> Millard, have you been swatting up on Gaul? Have you been Googling it? <laughs> Mate, like you say, up at half four with nothing to do. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, you are. Fountain of knowledge as well. Um, following on from that question, who scored a ton in that match for Sri Lanka? Was it Sanath Jasari, Mahela Jai Wardner, or Marvin Atapatu? I'll go Jai Wardner. Oh, quick there, ain't you? Yeah. Patu. Uh, the answer is Jai Wardner. <laughs> yes. Was that that a guess, James? Or uh, I think you know what I don't know, but I think I saw it some somewhere the other day. But... No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> I did. It was a, a massive guess, but you know, sounded sounded good for a minute, didn't it? <laughs> okay. Question four: um, Which country scored the highest Test score at goal? Uh, it's a score of six hundred and thirty-eight. Was it New Zealand, South Africa, or Bangladesh? Oh, that's a good oh, one. Wow. That is a really good one. I'll go rogue. I'll go Bangladesh. Oh, I was going to do that. But I'm going to go with South Africa. The answer is rogue Bangladesh. Oh, mm. we're level. Two all. Continent. Two all. Is this the decider then, Brooksy? Well, this is the decider. If you both get it wrong or right, then we got to go to my, my little fancy extra question, haven't we? Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who's England's leading test match wicket-taker at goal? <clears throat> Is it Graham Swan, Monty Panesar, or Jack Leach? Graham Swan. I think Jack Leach. Yeah. I'm starting to regret my quick answer now. Brooks the answer is Jack Leach with 11. Woohoo! Yeah. Yes. Graham comes from behind to take a 3-2 lead. How have I lost that? This week's victory. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, cheat. Chris. You've got a good cheat. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> at 2 0 down, I was going to start bemoaning your quiz, Brooksy. I was going to say it's rubbish. <laughs> but uh... you just started Googling goal then, didn't you? Greggy, when do the pubs open, mate? When do the pubs reopen? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Any idea? The 30th of February, according to you. Ah, very good. See yeah, if the listeners from... can work that one out, all right? I know you yeah. can have your little victory with that one, but see if the listeners <laughs> can work that one out. Oh, dear. Well done, Brooksy. Good quiz. Thank you very much for that. Very good quiz. Yeah, very good. Um, also, before we get on to Mags as well, who is our guest for this week on the Shackles Are Off podcast, just want to... I mean, have we not talked about this yet? The fact that India beat Australia. Um, I'll go for you, Brooksy, first. I mean, it was a great advert for Test Cricket. And Australia really left with egg on their faces a little bit. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> what an ad- well from a you know from a media point of view, um, 
what an advert for Test cricket. Uh, two of the best teams going toe to toe for a whole series goes down to the last last session, doesn't it? Um, but what a story for India! Um, they won the last series over there a couple of years ago. Uh, obviously, a much bigger test this time around. Australia aren't a bad side and with their bowling attack; they can beat anyone, particularly at home. But to miss so many first choice players through injury and unavailability, for Kohli, their star player, to have gone home after the first test, been bowled out for 36 first game as well. To come back and win under pressure like that um, was unbelievable, really, simply. And some, a couple of their young lads standing up and stiff, um, sticking their chests out. Um, and then seeing Pajara about like he did as well. It was incredible. Um, not sure it bodes too well for, for England going over to India. Or, they'll be buzzing off the back of that result. But it bodes well for England going to down to, uh, to Australia at the end of the year, doesn't it? If, Australia that, that fragile at the minute. Just a little bit. Now I'm really keen to get the Barmy Army perspective on it, Chris, because you're not going to wor- mince your <laughs> words here, are you? Well, the way I would describe it is the, <laughs> the Australian team and the management, as ever, showing their true colours after the, the documentary also that was really good about being good blokes. And the classic school bully mentality came out once again. They had the Indians upside down, emptying their dinner money out of the pockets. It was all falling out of their pockets throughout the series, bowling them out for 36. However, when the kids went back to school, the big school bully couldn't dangle the pockets anymore because the mum had sewn the pockets up and they had some fight <laughs> and some power and they couldn't steal their lunch money and the Indians battered him well and truly. Pajara, by the way, your mate, I know he can't speak much English, but see how many balls he wore. That is so, such a... Herculean effort to still be there, show that true grit when they were just bodylining him, smashing into his ribs, into his hip. I thought it was absolutely incredible. So happy for um, the Indians to come through and, and breach the Gabba because no one's won there for 32 years and I'm looking forward to going there next year and hopefully we can we can take something from that, learn from it and go and do the same. Brooksy, I know you know Pajari, like Chris said, and um, yeah. look, we know what an amazing player he is. You know, he's got thirty odd Test hundreds or whatever he's got, right? What what's what's the crack here when he's taking all those balls off? You know, all the Aussie fast bowlers, and they're just literally clonking him on the helmet, and he was just and he just had a real steel about him, didn't he? On a serious note, I mean, did you? Were you aware that he was as steely as that? Because he just sort of glared, didn't he? He took his helmet off and glared. It was like a warrior. Yeah. He wouldn't say boo to a goose. He's one of the nicest down-to-earth guys you'll ever meet who's got an unbelievable talent for batting, hasn't he, really? And patience and long bat and his, and his defensive technique. Takes a good ball to get him out. You see the balls that got him out this series, they're all jaffers. He doesn't play loose shots. Um, I, it takes me back to a conversation when he was playing for Yorkshire, probably the first stint we had with us. Sat on the balcony in between him and Tim Bresnan and I think it would have been like, a couple of years after that, um, Ashes Down Under when uh, Mitchell Johnson destroyed England in like 2013 and Brez had played in that series. And and Brez was talking about facing Mitchell Johnson, how like, not scary it was, but how difficult and horrible and just like a nightmare facing someone like that involved that quickly. And then said to Bajara, I was like, have you faced, what? how did you deal with him? He was like, huh? no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and he always, yeah, how people, how fast they bowl. Um, he just loves batting. He loves playing playing cricket. And um, I remember him taking Fidel Edwards, who's quite sharp down, playing against Hampshire. And Fidel tried to bump him out, and Pajara just kept pulling him and hooking him fours and sixes. <laughs> um, just an amazing, amazing Test match batter, and almost like the opposite of what your current modern batter is like. Which his way of batting has gone out of fashion, hasn't it? Yeah, it's a cult hero around the world because he does things in an old school traditional method, which not everyone's either willing or able to do these days. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Very um, special, very special win for them. And I'm happy for the fans that were over there to witness it as well. Now the Barrett army really well and they're really good guys and girls. And it was great that there was fans in stadiums watching cricket again. It was, it was just showing how much the sport misses fans when you see fans back in stadiums. It was here, here to that. Um, our guest, Anthony McGrath, Four tests, 13 ODIs, but look, 14,000 first-class runs, an absolute legend of the game, certainly at Yorkshire as well. Brooks, you had the pleasure of knowing him um, very well. He was sort of a big character at Headingley when you were there and nurtured a lot of talent and stuff in his time. Obviously knows Joe and Johnny very well, which we'll hear about. But really 
look, really good chat with him when we spoke to him. We're not going to do that pretending thing, but really good chat when we spoke to him. He's an interesting guy, loads of insights and funny stories. Um, yeah, just just talk to us about him. I know, obviously, I called him a legend to his face on the podcast, so I, didn't, I felt a bit like a bit, bit embarrassed, really. You'll hear that. But Brooksy, I mean, he, he, is, he is a legend, isn't he? Particularly at Headingley. He is, yeah. I mean, he's good as first-class cricket as you'll get played for nearly 20 years, I think. Man and boy. Um, I, I, I just missed him, actually, at Yorkshire. He retired the year I joined. But the legacy he had, he was clearly the, one, the most popular person in the changing room. And all the young lads looked up to him like a bit of a god. Not just because of his cricket ability and he would work with them, but how big a personality he was. Um, he was like the joker, but also the leader. Um, everyone just looked up and followed him everywhere. Um, so the legacy he left behind with that um, was huge. And still now, you probably the guys that know him well will still talk about Mags every day, I'd imagine, at some point. Um, but yeah, fantastic career. Probably the funniest person um on the on the circuit like from the stories i've heard and i know him quite well now i'd love to have played with him because he'd just been so entertaining um can be quite dry at times um but obviously since he's finished playing what what a coaching career he's had as well being mm. down at essex so yeah be involved with chris silverwood and then taking over from spoons since when he went on to england and won a couple of championships and a t20 off his own back as well so um he's obviously doing good things and he, i'd imagine he's got a decent coaching career ahead of him as well after this yeah. Hey, you know, legend at Yorkshire, brilliantly successful coach at Essex now. Loads of insight coming up. Also, stories about the Yorkshire snipper playing for England, coaching Sir Alistair Cook, and also Dan Lawrence as well, um, which must be really satisfying for him, nurturing Root and Bearstow. So he's a really good guest that we've got coming up here on the Shackles Are Off podcast. We'll be back next week after the second test in goal, hopefully reporting back on a 2-0 victory. We'll have all our predictions and stuff and go through who's the winner of the Test Match tickets. But for now, it's Anthony McGrath on the Shackles Are Off podcast. Two brothers played and we grew up about 20 yards from a cricket pitch and the club I, asked, I started off was about another 150 yards up the road so I uh, didn't have much choice to be honest um, <laughs> playing with the brothers and mates in the garden um, and yeah from about six year old or seven I think I joined the club which was pretty early I think in them days um, and then I was pretty much in the like Bradford boys and Yorkshire age group from about 11 to 12 so um, I guess my name were knocking around and then did well at, you know, different levels and then joined the Yorkshire Academy. So that basically was my introduction to cricket and um, probably will not until the Academy I started taking it, you know, kind of serious in terms of this could be a, a job rather than, you know, a bit of a fun on a weekend. Yeah. And, you know, when you first sort of getting that academy set up and you're obviously knocking about Headingley a little bit more and some of the older wizened pros are knocking about. Who were they? Who were, who were the ones who were sort of chucking the kit at you and stuff when the, you know when they got out and you were knocking around the dressing room? Everyone. Um, <laughs> no, I guess the uh, when I came to the academy, there were people like Richard Kettleborough, uh, Michael Vaughan had just gone through. He was starting to play in the uh, second eleven. Um uh, Michael Foster, Mark Broadhurst, who played a lot of England um, uh, junior stuff. But I think this this senior pros who you kind of looked at, up to at that time, who you dead and speak to because it were very much them days. Uh, you know, speak when you're spoken to. And the first team guys were Martin Moxon, David Bias, Richard Blakey, Ashley Metcalf, Paul Jarvis were probably the guys who were, you know, the main men. So um, you, you tried to avoid them when you were a young guy. Not because they were they were bad people, but you were kind of just scared of them, and yeah. you just wanted to keep your head down. Any early encounters having your wings clipped? Not really. I, I managed to get away with it. I'll blame someone else, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I mean the academy in them days ran out of Bradford Park Avenue, so you you kind of did a YTS. But I stayed on in sixth form, uh, so we're only there in the summer. So the the chores through the winter and stuff, where they were painting the side screens and painting the walls and that kind of stuff. I managed to blag it and get away with it. <laughs> so uh, the summer was just cricket. 
So I think there's there's a few horror stories from the guys at that time in the winter. They used to be doing all kinds of jobs, but I managed to uh, yeah swerve it. Which it was, was your good. Did you play the Bradford League? Played Bradford League. Started at a club called Bankfoot. Um, we had uh, Derek Underwood actually, believe it or not, was a pro when wow. I was first coming through. And then after a uh, well, I was there all my junior career, but then when I started playing first team, I joined a club called East Bailey, which were where my brother were playing, who were Bradford League as well. So, um, again, a few connections with Yorkshire and stuff, and I stayed there, you know, through till um, playing for Yorkshire, etc. Awesome. Was the Bradford League as good as everyone says it was back then? Yeah, I mean, I grew up watching my brother and, and going, you know, most weekends. It were really strong. I mean, most of the Yorkshire players were playing in there. Um, you know, they, they, they tended to get through the Bradford League clubs to the national finals and that kind of stuff. So it's always hard, isn't it? Because every region thinks their league's the best. So you don't really see what's going on down in London or Birmingham. But it was a good good standard. There were some really good overseas players come through. Um, so definitely a good upbringing. I mean, I started, I think, at 15 or something, 16 in the first team. So there was um, some good players knocking about. Can imagine what's that like? Fifteen or sixteen? Speak when spoken to, in the Yorkshire dressing room. I mean, it, a lot's made of it now, but it's just how it was. You know, you yeah. just, you know, respect your elders. They were, they were very much on a capping system, which there is now. But it was once you second team cap, you moved up the ladder, and when you were first team cap, but you just had to be a bit cleverer. But there were, I mean, there were loads of fun in them days as well because. You know, the young guys were always taking the mickey out of the older ones without knowing. And, you know, you had to be clean shaven at Yorkshire. You couldn't wear jeans. You had to wear collared shirts. Um, you know, you, in the bar, you, you, you there was a rule in there. I think it might still be in there. There was a rule in the Yorkshire um, yearbook where you couldn't have prawns the night before a game in case you got sick. <laughs> Seriously, just stupid rules like that. It was mad. So... Yeah, I mean, looking back, it's crazy, you know, clean shaven. You know, there was a thought in them days, if we wore the blazers to lunch, you know, we'd get a wicket after lunch because we were smarter than the opposition. That kind of logic, which <laughs> you just believed in them days, do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it wasn't until we got an overseas called Darren Lehman in 96, I think he turned up. Um, he turned up in the hotel bar with ripped jeans, goatee beard, Nike uh, earring and a McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> Dave, Dave, Byers, Dave, Dave Byers face, who were captain, was a pitcher. But that kind of broke the walls down because we were all going, yes, <laughs> if he can do it, then we, we can get away. But Dave quickly told us it's uh, only for overseas. But um, yeah, I mean, that's what it was like then. It was very traditional. You know, there's, I guess, nothing wrong with it. I suppose it taught you some good lessons as well. You know, to be uh, responsible and, and make sure you're on time and be smart as you can and all this kind of thing. But um, looking back now, it is a little bit funny. Yeah. When did when did you first come across the Yorkshire Snipper? Then was that in those days or is that a later phase? It was. It was. I, it was early days. To be fair, I got in the first team in '95, and I think the Snipper came around about '96 for a couple of years. Um, of, course, of course, he did. Um, and that, no, just coincidentally, Bruce, before you start. Um, but yeah, it seemed to it seemed to go on for two, three years, and and I think after that it were carried on a little bit. But it it did it did cause a few problems. I must admit, in that first year or two, there were, there were a lot of stuff going on. He's still loitering. I remember when I got done in my first year in 2013 when you weren't there. So it's um, Yorkshire's built on tradition and history, isn't it? So cinema, <laughs> Jack. Can't me. You know what? I love how how uh, all you lot. So we spoke to Siddy on one of our first ever podcasts, and he was like, he got he really went into a shell and was all like really shady when we were talking about the snipper, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a story about David uh, I mean, Bias having? Didn't he when he when he left? Didn't he snip his jacket or something like that? Or there's a story like that, isn't there? When he left? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a couple of good ones that the. The one that sticks in my, we played at Sussex. I think we were top, top of the championship in August with about five games left. And um, Sussex was something like 130 for eight, chasing 210 in the fourth innings. And um, the snipper had got to work at lunch without anyone knowing. And of course, <laughs> thinking we'd won the game. Uh, I think Varney 
dropped a catch or something on uh, Vasper Drake. So I went on and knocked him off or something, nine down. I kept a real tight game and we came in, obviously, you know, missed the chance to move in front. Everyone's kicking gear about. Dave Bias, as captain's fuming, gets in the shower first, comes out and, of course, the snipper had done his socks and <laughs> he he pulled his socks over his kneecaps and uh, everyone's burst out laughing and he was absolutely furious. The next day, in them days, you stayed down for the Sunday league. So, you know, we kind of had a couple of beers that night and everyone were gutted, got to the ground early and, and Dave Bias was like, right, unless anyone owns up, we are not playing this game today. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, yeah. I honestly, got to toss, the true story, we got to toss up, Peter Mars was captain, he came over and we're in the circle as, you know, everyone thought we were having a team talk and we were literally going round right. Was it you? Like, no. Was it you? No. And and the umpires had to make him toss up because no one had admitted it. Oh, brilliant. Um, so, yeah, it got it, two o'clock start. That was like half one. And we actually didn't toss up till something like 20 to two, which was against the rules. But, yeah, that's how that's how mad we were. We won that day, fortunately. But, but the other one you're talking about when Dave went to Lancashire, yeah, it, I don't know if it were Headingley or... Old Trafford, but this the snipped his tie, his Lancashire tie, which to Lank Lank's lads is sacrilege, but to, to the Yorkies, they found it funny. But the the um they, they sent a ransom note in there to get the end of his tie back or something like that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dear Mister Bias, we've you've probably noticed your tie's gone off. Our words on them lines. And um, he took it well, actually, in the end. But, yeah, when they were fielding, his tie were cut to smithereens. I love that. <laughs> yeah, quite good. There was, a, there was a funny one. Was it Scotty Mack, the physio, had a brand-new going-out shirt that was all ironed and pristine hanging up in his room? Didn't someone pinch it or cut it to pieces or something? Uh, yeah, but I think the collars were just fully cut off. Was it the uh, and you know what? You know what he was like. He didn't like you messing with his kit. Um, did he not talk to you for a few weeks or something. Yeah, he, we actually travelled in a car to Durham, and you know you used to take the old suit bags, didn't you? We we kit in. He actually hung it in the front, so it was like a partition, so he couldn't see me driving up. <laughs> he, uh, it was in. It was hanging off, hanging hanging off the light, you know, in the front bit. And um, I kept moving it back, going, "Come on, you got to talk to me now." And he's like, "No." <laughs> I'm like, it's, "It's not. It wasn't me." And he's like, "No, I'm not speaking to you." So yeah, there was there was stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I think that just closing on the snipper, Sir Lawrence Byford, uh, who's not longer with us now, he he was um, president of of Yorkshire, and, and he was um, famously the detective who headed up the Jack Ripper case in the end. And Scarborough then days was one of your last games and he actually interviewed a few guys, like interrogated them about, you know, the, the Yorkshire snipper. Yeah, no I got called in. He did. No way. Yeah, he, he was obviously half joking, but at the time it was my first year and they're like, Sir Lawrence wants to see you. I'm like, oh, right, okay goes in the room in Scarborough and, you know, last game. And it's like, right, OK, well, where you played this date, these socks were cut, what have you got to say? You know, we've heard you've got your own scissors, uh, this kind of stuff. So it was all a joke in the end, but I'm coming out thinking, oh, my shit, you know, like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but I think it was Martin Moxon or Dave Bias had just set him up to do it. But he'd done a few of the young lads to put us under pressure, but luckily no one cracked. Brilliant, love that. That is fantastic. That is so good. It feels a bit weird going from talking about the Yorkshire snipper to uh, you know first class <laughs> cricket and scoring runs and we're getting an England call up. Uh, I just I love that. We might even revisit that in a bit. Um, the uh, obviously you're playing uh, for Yorkshire and like you said, it was like intense as well, wasn't it? Because you're playing county games, and then you're playing the Sunday League, and it's, you're playing loads and loads of cricket, and it's great. How far? sort of into your first class career did you actually think I've got a real sniff of getting an England call up here and was it ever really you know I'm guessing it is everybody's ambition to play for England but you know did you really target it at any point? Not really I mean I only played five games then I got picked on the England Air Tour which is equivalent to the Lions now we toured Pakistan and had a had a decent tour and then I went the year after to Australia um, so around that time, there was a bit of a talk of, you know, if I could put some runs together. 
um, you know, maybe getting in. But after that Australian tour, I didn't have the best tour. And then I had a, a few barren years, really, um, you know, very inconsistent. So at that point, it was just more about cementing my place in the Yorkshire team. Um, it wasn't till probably early 2000s where I changed my technique quite a bit and um, started scoring some runs. And then I thought, you know, I've got a good chance of getting in here then. Um, so, so probably, yeah, turn of the, turn of the, probably 2001, 2002 time, I thought, yeah, I think I'm ready to have a, a crack at this. So, so it was a bit stop-start, to be honest. Yeah, you got given the Yorkshire captaincy as well. I mean, that was, I mean, brilliant. I mean, you know, when you're playing Bradford League and you're sort of toddling down the road with your brother to captain Yorkshire... That must have been awesome. Really proud moment for you to, to sort of be asked to do it and, and whatever. Yeah, very much so. And came as a bit of a surprise because we'd we'd won the championship, then won CNG trophy, and then there was a lot of change at the club. You know, club were changing from a, a, a members' club to I think Colin Graves came in and was trying to buy the club and make it more secure. And a lot of people were leaving in and out. Um, and I was surprised when I got the call to you know, be asked to be captain, really. So, but immensely proud, especially in my family as well, with all the connections with Yorkshire and supporting them all the way up. Um, but that was the season I got picked for England. So something like three or four games into my captaincy, I was away. So I didn't really get a chance that year to to do it. I came back now and again. But um, as Brooks, will tell you, I think to be a good county captain, you need to be there all the time. You need to be living it. And guys who are struggling in the team and, you know, to be really leading it. So I, I did find that difficult. Um, and that's why at the end of that season, I was still involved with um, with England. I went to see the club and said, look, it's not fair on on the club and probably not me either. We, you need a captain to be here all the time. So it was bittersweet really, because I think at that time, you know, I, I were really up for, for doing it. Yeah, yeah. And what about, look, let's talk about England, right? Your England debut. You made your, same, your debut on the same day as Jimmy Anderson? Is that correct? Yes, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that picture gets wheeled out quite a bit, both you and him getting your caps at the same time, doesn't it? Especially when he's, you know, breaking these records and all that kind of thing, and you're there and you... Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, f- fantastic. I mean, just, I mean, what was that like, getting an England call-up? Just out, just outstanding. And also, you had a bit of a weird first test as well, didn't you? Didn't you end up behind the sticks? Is that right? No, that was my last one. The last one. That was my fourth test, yeah. Yeah, I, again... Um, I'd started the season okay without any big runs and then I'd got a call from, from David Graveney and I actually thought it was a bit of a joke from one of the lads. <laughs> we were rained off at Northampton and the old, you know, mobiles, not as uh, sophisticated as they are now, it came up the old, you know, private number and it was like, yeah, this is a, a gag. And um, <laughs> I were always a little bit cynical because I, you know, played the odd joke on someone. So I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. But it was actually grab. So in the end, he's like, yeah, you come down to Lords on Monday, make your debut on Thursday. So it was, um, I didn't have any inkling I was going to get picked. There wasn't really a lot of speculation. So it was, um, yeah, crazy. Um, down to Lords, great place to make your debut. Um, as you say, uh, making debut with Jimmy. Um We've both gone gone on to be record wicket takers. Add my four wickets onto his, you know, from the day he made his debut. <laughs> um, but no, I mean the 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 whole experience were brilliant. I mean, Lords, you know, most cricketers say it's yeah, it's a home of cricket, brilliant place to play. Um, I managed to get a few runs and a couple of wickets as well, which were great. And an England win, good team to make your debut against Zimbabwe without you know being disrespectful. Um, and of course, the family and friends were there. Stereotypical English summer, you know, three or four days the game lasted. It were uh, brilliant, really, absolutely sensational. Yeah, and all with it as well. What comes staying in the hotel and just soaking it all in, and like sort of getting into the ground in the morning, and like the, you know, crowds watching you warm up. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even leading up, I mean, you know, this training on the Monday, um, guy turn up with a big bag of Oakley's, you know, a few people watching your train, media around it, you know, Sky obviously was were, were around then as well. I think it might have been Channel 4. 
Um, so just so different, you know, the build-up, you, you felt like it was a big, big event. Um, and as you say, the 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 husher, you know, the round lords and the champagne corks and all that malarkey, you know, is it's just surreal when you look around. You have to pinch yourself that you're, you're out there and, and it's a, a big occasion for your country because, you know, that's why you're playing it. You start at whatever club you're at and you want to walk out at Lords and play for your country. So, um, you know, it was a very, very proud day. Yeah. Um, I guess in some ways, look, I'd like to have played mind playing four tests and, and a few one days, but, um, you know, sometimes it's just not meant to be. But, I, you know, I wouldn't swap the games I played, you know, for um, for anything, really. Was yeah. that England environment like, Banks, when you went in there? Was there <clears throat> how many other Yorkshire lads were in there as well? Um, the debut was Vaughan. It's just before his captaincy. And I think Hoggy played that first game. Uh, Goffey came back in uh, for the South Africa series. NASA was captain who had been on tour with to um, Pakistan with the ATAR, so I knew NASA a little bit. Uh, Mark Butcher, uh, Ashley Giles, I knew a bit. So there were there were a few guys in there. Harmy, um, Freddie came back in for the South Africa. So in terms of the players, I knew most of them pretty well. Uh, Duncan Fletcher, a coach. Um, and the coaching, I guess, group as not as big as they are nowadays you know that you're now big big the coaching uh, teams are now but it was a good environment I mean Duncan was very quiet but very well respected you could tell by the senior guys yeah, did you say again that you ever speak to you a little bit yeah <laughs> uh, but it, but he was that guy but he wasn't a massive um you know one for the big Churchillian speeches he, he pulled people on the side um, you know, worked closely with with Trez and and because they'd been with him from the start. So he just gave the odd pointers, really. But um, you know, you could tell someone who really knew his his stuff. Um, so yeah, I think Conway actually, Dean Conway, was physio at the time, and I knew Dean from under nineteen days. So he was he was kind of the the conductor in the dressing room. He was the uh, the one who were getting everything going. What was the the um, drinking culture like within that team? Did you have any good nights out that you can remember fondly? Um, I think we... was It this, It was after the, that test at Lords, actually, yeah, because we finished in three days or two and a half days on the Saturday and um, it was about, you know, late in the afternoon it finished. So we stayed over that night uh, and went somewhere in London Um most of the team stayed up, to be fair, which was really good. But after that, the one at Durham, we won, but everyone uh, departed straight away. And uh, the next two were fairly quiet, to be honest. We got pummeled at Lords against South Africa, so everyone went their own ways. But, yeah, I think that that's the one that stood out. We we had a good night in uh, in London. Um, and then the, pre, uh, the next winter, I went on the one-day tours, but not the test tours, uh, to West Indies and Sri Lanka. Uh, and didn't play, but a good. It was a good, uh, good couple of times. <laughs> West Indies to not play in the West Indies, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we just we'd won the Test series. You know that famous series where Harmy run through them. We had about eight slips in, and um, you know we beat West Indies easy. So everyone were in good spirits. You know when we got out there. Um, so yeah, I mean I was gutted not to play, but you know when you. In Barbados, I think Antigua and St. Lucia, it's not the worst place to be 12th man, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good tour. Quality. Um, look, you know, after that, obviously, you've sort of focused back on Yorkshire. Did you did you nearly leave Yorkshire after you sort of got back into the fold after sort of, you know, getting back into the Yorkshire side full time as opposed to playing for England? Was it one of those, what was it? Was it going back to that thing that Colin Graves was trying to change the county uh, or was it, you know, what, they didn't share your ambitions, I read somewhere online. Yeah, it was a tough time really because a few players were leaving, you know, Darren Lehman. Um, the previous season, the senior guys had had a chat with the club and said, look, we we think we're taking the, as I have the ball in terms of cricket, you know, we're not recruiting well and, there's a few other things going on and I think Michael Lum left, uh, Mitch Claydon were leaving. We seem to be letting our good young guys go and um, yeah, so 
it got to a stage where I was one of the most senior and I kind of went to the club and I didn't think, you know, they were going to change. And I just thought, look, I think it might be best if I, I go somewhere else. I've still got plenty of years left. Um, and then within a couple of months, things changed very quickly. Darren Goff came back as captain. We'd signed Jason Gillespie, Jack Rudolph, Eunice Khan, oh, wow. um, and Martin Moxon come back from Durham. So I got a call from Goffrey. He said, look, we, you know, I understand your, your points, but look what we're doing. We're going to completely change. We're going to start, you know, bringing back the, the younger guys into the team because Yorkshire has always been built around, um, you know, their own players, producing their own players, giving young players a chance and then recruiting well, of course, a, a good mixture. So, you know, I, I quite liked what I heard and, Deep down, I didn't really want to leave because I mean, you know, I was a Yorkshire man and wanted to play. But I think um, I was doing it for the right reason. So yeah, I mean that that quickly changed, and and I were back into the fold really. So you're always a bit nervous when you've had a bit of a dispute with the club how the players are going to be. But I think most of the guys understood where I was coming from, and and in fact, you know, I thought the younger guys in particular were were underpaid and being used a little bit for for want of a better word mm. so you know that was there's part of it um so yeah com coming back into it after a dispute you're always a bit worried but i think um you know most people were pretty cool with it yeah what was your your um memories of the members what was your relationship like with the members at yorkshire <laughs> they, they go down in folklore um for some reason or another depends how many runs you were getting um <laughs> Yeah, a bit mixed. I mean, it, you know, if you if you're there probably as long as I were, you're going to have some ups and downs. And um, look, overall, most of them are, are supportive. They just, you know, love the love Yorkshire and they want them to do well. But um, you know, sometimes you just can't win. I remember us beating Worcester in one and a half days. I think it was Worcester or someone in one and a half days at Scarborough. Obviously, unbelievable result. Not the best pitch. We're thinking we've got. A day and a half off in Scarborough, I mean, we'd go and have a beer, we'd play Sunday League. Coming out of the dressing room and, you know, two members, you've ruined our weekend. We're here for four days to watch cricket. <laughs> you know, <laughs> why, did, you know, why didn't you bat longer? And why did you, you know, she like, what the? But, yeah, just that kind of thing. I mean, there were... Quality. I, I think around the time I was going to leave, that I think a few members were a bit annoyed and... You know, there were a little bit of heckling and then I refused to raise my back to certain members at ground, which I shouldn't have done. But that kind of stuff, you get a few letters in and, um, you know, the members, they, you know, they, they say what they like and, yeah. So... <laughs> You're very diplomatic. Yeah, but overall, they're good as gold. They just support the team and they want them to do well. Yeah. Yeah, and look, you know, having spoke to Brooksy and you know several other lads who were sort of at Yorkshire, and and they they all say actually how well respected you are and how sort of well loved you are by sort of all the you know the legend really, you know, without embarrassing you too much. Um, and talking of sort of other players coming through and stuff, who when you were there, so you'll have been still in and around the club when young folk like Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow and stuff were just getting into the side and a whole host of others as well but they're the ones that kind of spring to mind straight away obviously for obvious reasons you applied a bit with Dilly as well wouldn't you yeah um, yeah I mean when they all made the debut I, I was playing I think Dilo Adil I remember him getting seven for eight for him one of his first games at Scarborough against Warwickshire Nick Knight Jonathan Trott were playing I don't know if Belly were playing but He's just like, geez, this who is this lad? We've never really had a leg spinner at Yorkshire, you know, very traditional spinners and Headingley doesn't spin much and and uh yeah, he was a breath of fresh air really. And also could bat and them days were fast and brilliant arm in the field. So he was, you know, oof. and he hasn't he didn't really he wasn't really talked about like a Joe Root or a, a Johnny Best or a Gary Gary Balance or even an Alex Lees. You know, he came through as probably more of a batter who bowled a bit of leg spin. That's how I remember people talking about him. And then he, he got picked as a leg spin. And he stood at slip and he's spinning it like this. I'm like, where's this guy been? Why, you know what I mean? We should have yeah. had him in earlier. We'd have won the league here. <laughs> um, but, 
the other guys, I mean, I, I remember Joe from and Johnny coming in at 12, 13. Joe worked closely with Kevin Sharp, who I worked with. I always remember him being booked in after a session I have. And uh, Kev always said, just stay 10 minutes and watch this lad. Um, and you could see then, you know, um, temperament more than anything, just how he was. He always wanted tough sessions with Kev. He wanted what the pros were doing, even at a young age. Um, and I, myself and Darren Lehman went to watch him uh, at Old Trafford. We were playing in a, I think it was Freddie Frintoff's benefit game, but Yorkshire were playing Lancashire in a under-14 game. And we said, we'll go early and watch Rooty. <laughs> and um, I think, I don't, I don't know if we were captain, but anyway, um, yeah, he, he got a few runs that day as well. So we, we knew about Joe. And similarly with Johnny, he were coming in at half-term to practice a um, bit more confident than our outspoken, believe it or not, Johnny, than Joe was. <laughs> uh, you know, we try to take the fast bowlers on hooking them indoors and that kind of stuff. Um, and Gary Balance as well, another one who, you know, them three in particular, real quality at such a young age. Gaz came from Derby, but you could see them all playing. And when they came into the first team, yeah, it was great. Um and you knew there you got three really good solid players. I mean, Adam Live a bit before and Alex Lees, they were a bit before them. But um, when I were getting to the end of kind of my career, um, I actually enjoyed working with them. And I think that's where the coaching side came from. Yeah. Um, and seeing them, you know, do well and taking it on and learn so quickly, you thought that these guys have got a chance and they've all, you know, done so well in, in international cricket. Is it no surprise to you then how far they have gone, especially Johnny and Rooty and Gary as well? No, I mean you, you never know because you go you, when you step up levels. It's not just about the technical or ability side; it's how you deal with the stuff off the field, really, and all the noise going around. But um, in terms of ability, no, you, you'd never, never really doubt them. Um, I mean, the, the, all the records, if you look at internationally, are, are bloody good, really good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Joe, Joe was the one who, he was probably a stereotypical Yorkshire opener, as in left elbow, just keep blocking it, knock it down the pitch. But how is, you know, you watched him the other day, they just couldn't ball a dot ball at him, sweeps, you know, back foot, front foot. And, you know, he worked that out so quickly, went from someone who you thought were an opener to scoring 360, whereas probably Gaz and Johnny had that a little bit earlier. They were a bit more attacking. Uh, but Joe has really turned into, you know, someone who on any pitch can score off any bowler, which, you know, is testament to how he's taking it on. Yeah. And look, you know, you've obviously gone into coaching. You've had loads of success, actually, since since you've sort of become a coach. Was that something that you'd eyed up? Or was that, like you say, when you just finished and you were sort of spotting these players and uh, you sort of obviously had a bit of an eye for it and sort of you enjoyed helping their development. Is that where that came in then, is it? Or or is it watching Silvers sort of making his way? What is, how, how's it worked? Um, a bit towards the end, as I say, working with the young players, because the last year I was a little bit in and out of the team, so it gave me a bit of chance to do that kind of work. I did a bit of work with Livey. Um, and then someone like Darren Lehman, who I played with a lot and was close to, he went into coaching and, you know, he seemed to do it a kind of different way than I saw coaching probably growing up. And there's probably more than one way to well, to do anything in life. But so I kind of took that on and I'd spoke to, to Buffer quite a bit uh, about how he went about it. And I wouldn't say I planned to go into coaching, but I think the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And then I had a bit of a year out after finishing and then got invited back in to do little bits with Yorkshire and kind of got the bug from there, really. Yeah. Yeah, you were, um, I remember, because I was obviously there when you first joined, we came back full-time as a coach, didn't you, after Farbs was second-team coach, then Richard Dawson yeah. had a year, and um, they obviously had a lot of success and good relationships with the players, and then you sort of came in seamlessly and just took on that role, and I think we won the trophy the second year, 2015, when you were you were there, weren't you? And um, yeah. yeah. Fantastic how you had... You just came into it and obviously you had that great relationship with all the youngsters, like you said before as well. But for someone like me who we don't really played against each other, haven't we? And I didn't really know you really well. I knew you as a as obviously a good bloke and stuff, but then to work with you, the cricket side of things, it's sort of 
opened your eyes up a little bit and you're good to vent to as well I'm pretty light-hearted. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that initially the role was kind of the club said mentoring, you know, chatting to the guys who were probably out of the team or uh, injured or or that kind of thing. So, but I, I think that's a huge part of coaching. Really, it's not just the technical side because I think the the further you go, you know, all professionals work on the game hours and hours. You know, you've got to be good technically to be a pro. But I think the other side of it, relationships you know, trust um, how you deal with stuff off the pitch as well. I think it's a huge part of a professional player's armoury. So you've got to, you know, try and be happy and you've got to have somewhere to vent. And, you know, coaches are, are not always right. In fact, most of the time they get stuff wrong, you know, just like players do. And I think, um, you know, both sides have got to accept that really. But, I mean, going back to that Yorkshire team, Jack were part of that. As a coach, you're only as good as your players, really. And um, look, Dizzy did a fantastic job, but what a group of players to work with. You know, a mixture of, as I said, the, the homegrown Yorkshire guys and then guys who came in like Brooksy, Pudsey, um, Hoddy, you know, to name a few. Uh, but all good, solid blokes. And I think if you have good characters, um, a coach's job's kind of done because it the dressing room polices itself and it's a fine line because if you don't have that, it, it can be tough if things don't go well. Good to have you leading the charge off field after wins as well. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, and just talk about Essex as well because obviously you went there as assistant provisionally to Spoons, um, who we all know fairly well. Um, and then, I mean, he's he's... He's just done fantastic, hasn't he? Is that is that something you want to you want to follow him maybe into the international arena or the franchise stuff? Or obviously not yet because you're just winning everything at the moment with Essex. But um, you know, which I suppose that makes you very proud as well. But maybe after you've stopped winning everything with Essex, you might go into some of that. Yeah, I, I haven't really, you know, thought I need to be an international coach in a few years of our franchise. Really, I'm just more one of them you know, whatever job you view, just do it as well as you can. Um, and I've only been head coach for three years, so I, I still think I've got a bit of uh, a bit to go yet. I mean, um, uh, Silver's look, I think from knowing him as a player to a coach, um, you know, completely different. Most people remembered him as an angry fast bowler who used to spit and swear at people, but he's completely different as a coach, you know, really calm, calculated, doesn't overspeak. Um so I learned a lot from him from the first, um, you know, couple of years. So it's not a surprise how he's done well because I think he's very good at delegating and, and being smart who he uses. So um, yeah, I don't know where I'll end up. I guess it's okay when you're winning, but we'll see what people's opinion are when you <laughs> when you lose a little <laughs> bit and you get a bit of flack. But um, no, I mean, look, I've, I've really enjoyed it. That's the main thing. I think you've got to enjoy whatever job you do. And um, it, yeah, of course, it helps when you're winning. But um, in terms of where I'll be in a few years, hopefully I'll just be still in the game. Um, I'm, I'm loving it at Essex. You know, it's I've said it many times. It really is a good fit for me with the club and the players. So hopefully I'm there for a, you know a few more years yet. What about you excited by the prospects of Dan Lawrence in the England setup now? Look really good this week, obviously. Yeah, we're delighted for him. Really, I mean came at a good time for him I think with a couple of players making a break it's given him an opportunity so again you know we mentioned the the routes and people like that I were you know I'm pretty confident if he got in he, and he got a chance he'd, he'd show what he can do so look he's still a long way to go but I think people saw from his temperament how he played when he were out there we're just enjoying it you could see him smiling and, and that's the type of character he is really I mean I spoke to him the night before and most people would be nervous and it's like, I just can't wait. You know, I just want to get out there and show people. So I think he's got the right minerals for it. Um, hopefully he can stay in the team. But the great thing with Danny is only 23. I think people, you know, the experience he's got, he started at 17 and that'll help, help you know, stand him in good stead. So um, it's a shame he couldn't go on and got his, his ton because I think if he did, that would have probably kept him in the side for the India tour. But... He's still got another test, but he's certainly made a, a really good start. Um, so um, yeah, I think I think people have known about Dan, you know, around the around the county. It's just about getting in because England have such a good squad. 
you know, they can pick from various batters, really. But uh, he's done himself no harm, that is for sure. He looked so good when he hit that six, didn't he? He held his finish, just held his pose like a golfer as it sailed over the rope. That was magic. I love watching that. Um, I mean, will it be... I very mean, Essex. It is, very Essex, <laughs> just a bit. Um, I was going to say, I mean, look, he'll be picking... Sir Alistair's brains, I'd imagine, about staying in the England team. Not about hitting big shots like that, but in terms of actually, um, you know, being in and around the squad and cementing a place down and that kind of thing. What's what's it like to have somebody like Cookie at your disposal? I mean, he's just such a good bloke. We've had him on the podcast before and he's just fantastic. Um, completely different to what you'd expect. He's actually a really relaxed guy, isn't he? Yeah, humble, relaxed guy. Um, you know, doesn't say too much but when he speaks everyone listens um i think the biggest compliment you can give to everyone everyone likes him there's not many people that's got a bad word for him yeah. probably apart from his, his missus but um, <laughs> <laughs> but no look, everyone does and he's so well respected um he, you know he's he's a coach's dream really not just because of how good he is and how he trains and the the example he sets um, it, you know, in terms of someone you can lean on and, and chat for experience because he's seen everything really. You know, the captaincy with England, how long he did it. You know, he's he's just got everything in his locker. And you know, I, many people thought he'd finish when he fought finished international cricket, but he's had a good two Wait, years. I've had enough. Yeah. About <laughs> but yeah, he just. He just loves it, and I think that's the key for us. We just want him to keep enjoying his cricket and having fun. Um, and hopefully he's with us because, yeah, I mean, look, he gets his runs. I mean, the the final this year was a, a great example of that. You know, probably without him, we were struggling, but he, he made an unbelievable knock. Um, but he's, he's just great to have around, you know, just around the club. We are very, very lucky. And, you know, you say it a little, you enjoy him kind of while he's here because he, he really is a superstar of the game. He does it his own way. He's not as maybe in the spotlight and flash as some of the other guys, but, what a you know legend he's been. He really has. Yeah. He's such a good bloke. We um obviously after that game in the Bob Willis Trophy final at Lords last year, you guys invited us in for a for a drink, which it's never easy when you've just lost to go and go and have a drink straight away at the Oppo. But um the relationships between the players and those two teams obviously there's a lot of respect and enjoyed the tussles over the last couple of seasons. But after having a chat with you and Cookie, then Cookie then gets surrounded by our two young left-handed openers, Lammers and, and Tom Lammerby and uh, Ed Byram, who both batted beautifully that game, didn't they? And um, they just stood chatting to Cookie for about 25, 30 minutes about opening the bat. And Cookie was just unbelievable with them, how, what he was able to get across to them, the messages and answer their questions. And just a mark of the man there to, to be able to do that for two young lads when you could have just said, look, I want to go and get pissed with my mates. But top man, isn't he? Yeah, and that's gone out of the game a bit, which, which you know, probably going back to yesteryear happened a lot, especially when I was coming through. But as you say, um, the two lads batted unbelievably, didn't they, for Somerset? Um, and, and as I said, Cookie is always happy to, to chat with, with opposition. But as you know now, with, with how the game is, you just don't get a chance to have a beer with the opposition as much. But... Um, you know, you go back to that final and as you said, the respect between both teams, two top teams and I think, oh shit, I thought things come out. Um, yeah, I'm, it's just good for county cricket. You know, we've been talking about England cricket, but Somerset, I think there's a lot of similarities between Essex, you know, produce their own players, good senior pros, very consistent teams and I think a lot of respect was shown that day and I'm, I'm glad that the teams came together at the end because I think it were a, you know, whichever way the result had gone, it was so close. I think it were a fitting way to close, which had been a tough season. Yeah, yeah definitely mad, wasn't it? But you, um, obviously I wanted to come have a beer with you anyway, because you're always entertaining. And, um, <laughs> but as you like, I said, like, I'm a bit of the old school as well. Like, not enough players and teams see each other during or after games. And it was almost you almost don't do it anymore. It's it's a bit of a weird one, but I think it's great, especially after that game when you guys had something to celebrate. It was the end of the season, we got real close. Um, I know the bus was leaving quite soon afterwards and I wasn't on the bus so I could hang around a bit longer but a few of the lads were keen to do it but it all depends who you know in the team as well, isn't it, in the opposition. Yeah. Um, you know it's always going to be lively in the Essex change room after a game so it's not going <laughs> to... <laughs> it's always going to be entertaining. Excellent. Um, Mags, thanks so much for all your time, mate and um, I, hope, no problem. I hope that when you do get back to it this summer, however the county sort of 
you know, championship days, whether it's got sort of grumbling Yorkshire supporters in or sort of, you know, loud Essex fans in. Who knows what it's going to look like, but I hope it goes well for you. Um, Thank you very much. And make Brooks, make Brooks work for his wickets as well a bit more. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 Look forward to Mags. Cheers for coming on, mate. Yeah, Podcast Network.